Hello there and welcome to Line by Line. My name is Pastor Josh Hawkins and I am ready and excited to explore uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with you today. I don't think we'll get through the whole thing, but we're going to give it a go and see what happens. But before we do that, let us spend a moment in prayer. Father, we turn our attention towards you. We turn our affections towards you. We ask for softened hearts. We ask for, for open minds. Awaken us, Lord, to unseen realities, realities beyond our ability to comprehend outside of the help of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, hi, friends. I hope you're doing well. Uh, the week before Christmas week. Isn't that exciting? I hope you're excited. You know, I mean, maybe you're worried or maybe, you know, you're not quite ready. And we all understand that. We've been there. Um, but I, I hope that's not the case for you. So uh, I'm, I am really excited to dig in to what the Lord has for us this week. So let's read Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 1. For we know... That if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore we always are confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So make it our goal. To, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us in the th <clears throat> for the things we... For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. We are as What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. I'm going to stop there. I think... We might get that far, and we may not. Uh, we're going to attempt to get that far, but we'll see. Okay, so um, we ended last time uh, talking about how 
the difficulties that we experience are 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 all going to be found worth it because of the glory that is coming to us in the age to come, the eternal glory. Verse 17 and 18 say, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I bring that back because uh, the first word in the first verse of the chapter is, for we know. So, so the word for, you know, we need to go backwards. But I also bring it back because we are still in the middle. The context of, of this conversation that we're going to have today is the larger context that began all the way back in chapter 3 with the discussion of the Old Covenant, which was passing away, which was uh, temporal, which which was veiled and the glory of which is fading and the new ministry that we have been given via Jesus through the spirit is a is the ministry of life the ministry of the things that are immortal the ministry of the things that are not passing away so we have we're in this um kind of uh, a duality here between between the, the order of the world in which we currently live and the order of the world ref, we refer to as the kingdom of God, which we have been brought into via Christ. But that we are living now, Paul's whole, whole discussion on this is that we are living now in between those two worlds. We, we have uh, the reality of the eternal at work in us by the Holy Spirit now, but we are still encased in dying bodies and we live in a dying world. So the, this, this walk, this journey that we're on now is the journey that, 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 that navigates the, the, the liminal space. I love that word liminal. It means it's, it's, it's like, it's like sunset. It's not, it's not day anymore, but it's not night, um, you know, or, or, or sunrise, you know, it's not night anymore. Um, but it's not day. It's a liminal space. It's a space that exists between two clearly defined spaces, but those two clearly defined things are overlapping now. And we live in the, the space where they overlap. In fact, you and I are the space where the age which is passing away and the age to come are overlapping. We are the space where the age that is passing away and the age that is to come are overlap. You and I, that is, we, we are the first fruits of those who will be resurrected, uh, which will eventually include the whole of the universe. But as of right now, um, we're the only thing in this dying world that has the power of resurrection at work in it as you and me and living in that space, <clears throat> that space where we have to face off mortal versus immortal fading versus ever increasing glory, death versus the life of the spirit, the seen versus the unseen temporal versus eternal 
veiled versus face to face. That that's where we live. We live where we have a taste of the age to come, but we don't have the fullness. We we still live in a dying world, in fact, in dying bodies. And so Paul's leaning into that theme even more deeply, as he has been now for two chapters, but he's bringing it out specifically in regard to this stuff. You know, our physical, I'm sorry, that probably was loud in the mic. This physical reality that we inhabit, our bodies. I remember, you know, at the end of the Apostles' Creed, it says, we believe in the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting, you know, etc. Um, and and uh, I had heard of a church where they would literally strike themselves. We believe in the resurrection of the body, this very body, where they would they, to bring that home. My body, this body, will be resurrected. Is being resurrected. I believe in that, and because I believe in that, it changes the way that I live in the world. Um, and that's what this whole chapter is all about. We're going to explore that all the way through here. The whole of our existence is involved in the mo the movement from mortal, fading, temporal into immortal, ever-increasing glory, eternal reality. That's where we live and we are in the midst of that shift in our own selves. The question is, will we engage with that shift, which began with the resurrection of Jesus and will end in the resurrection of all things? Will we engage with that shift or will we, or will we fight against it? Lots to talk about. So, verse 1, for we know, we know That light, this light momentary trouble, the difficulty, the discomfort, the all of the bad things that are associated with living in a dying world, um, all of these are 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 actually being turned by God into an eternal glory, which outweighs them all. Um, our weakness displays his strength our disability displays his ability uh that's 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 the beauty of this that god the same god that took jesus from the grave and seated him in the highest heavens that same thing is at work in you that's what it says in the book of ephesians that same motion of from the grave through to seated at the right hand of god you you are you are in the midst of that uh, of that and that same resurrection power that did that um in with jesus is doing that with you and me um we know we're in this. We know that we are included in this great transition from death into life. Um, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Okay, so this verse, and this is the only place, at least in this chapter, 
where Paul references this, but I think it's really fascinating. This verse is clearly may not this may not be clear to our ears, but it is it is clear in the way that it's written, and it's clear it would be clear to a second temple Jew. Uh, he is referring to tabernacle verse temple. Tabernacle first temple, and not just any temple, but the heavenly temple. And the in the Old Testament, God made a God made a uh, a covenant with Israel, and a part of that covenant was that He would dwell with them, and that in the beginning they should create this tent referred to as the tabernacle, where the presence of God would dwell in their midst. Later on in Israel's history, uh, that tabernacle was moved into Jerusalem during David's reign, and it dwelt, the presence of God was at the center of the kingdom, and this was the greatest moment of Israel's history, the place where the covenants were all being uh, you know that both Israel and and God were were in cooperation in the covenant that God had made. God's presence is in the center of His people. God's people had inherited all of the land that God had called for them to inherit. Never again since that moment has Israel lived in that kind of a space. Um, David wanted to build a permanent dwelling place for God in the midst of His people, and God said no. Um, because he was a man of blood, but Solomon got to do that. Um, but we're told by Paul and other places that the tabernacle and the temple uh, were both just replicas of of a reality that existed in the he- in in the heavenlies, uh, where God, you know, that is the dwelling place of God, God's space, and that we were replicating it here on earth. Um, uh, in the tabernacle and in the temple. So when and and that. Paul is kind of hearkening back to that. He's touching back on that really important part of Judaism and saying the earthly tent we live in. Now he's referring to our bodies. He's not referring specifically to the tabernacle, but he's saying that as we move from the tabernacle, as as Israel moved from the tabernacle in the wilderness to the, the temple in Jerusalem. So you and I are moving from this weak, broken, temporary structure, which still accomplished the purpose of holding of 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 hosting the presence, um, to something far more glorious, something far more uh, uh, permanent. That movement from tabernacle to temple is is very similar to what you and I are going to be doing as we leave behind this tabernacle, this tent um, that is temporary. Uh, it it accomplishes the purpose for which it was created, but 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 weakly and not not in the most efficient way. And and we will be and it is only temporary. This is passing away, and we are going to be we are going to be put into. Uh, something permanent, something glorious, something beautiful. That all of the things that, and and if we fold that into the verses that we just read from chapter uh, four, we see that all of the difficulty and the struggle that we experience in this life are 
all serving that transition. They're all serving. They they are what God will use to to build. And it is God who does it, but God will use to build our eternal existence. So we need to look upon the things that are difficult now as preparation for the transition into the eternal life that we will have forever and ever and ever with God. But in the meantime, meanwhile, verse 2, we groan. Um, that's a, I, I, Paul uses that word a lot, not just in this text, but others, other places. Groaning, groaning. And it has, you know, it's, it's, it's an inward groan if, um, in the, in, in the Greek, it's not necessarily, you know, this outward kind of flamboyant thing, but it just stands for the ways that all of us wrestle and struggle and hurt. You know, um, it stands for the way that all of us are, are, are in discomfort and in pain in this life, no matter what kind of pain it is, we, we don't, we aren't made for this world, um, and when I say this world, I mean the dying world that, that is passing away. We, we, these things are not as they should be. The fall really happened and it had real consequences. Uh, that, that I hope makes sense. We groan longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Okay, some context here that may not be clear to you. Okay, in the Greek world, high, uh, the, 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 the way Plato understood the universe... Um, I, right, I'm talking about Plato. I am. I've never studied Plato, but uh, good Bible teachers told me that this is where Paul is coming from here. So the way Plato apparently understood the universe is he believed that what was materially existent in the world was uh, was only a pale shadow of a greater reality that existed in the spiritual realm. And that the, the, the spiritual realm was what, what, what was actually real and was casting the shadow of itself onto the material. And that is what we were. We were the shadows, right? The, our physical bodies are the shadows of our spiritual, non-physical reality. And so the greatest thing that you could do for a, for and and that we're trapped in that in in this physical reality. I forgot to say that. So we're spiritual beings, but we're 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 trapped in the shadows of our physical world. We can't quite see what we really are or uh, you know, and so we want to be free of this physical world. We want to shed this physical world and we want to be pure spirit right? That that is when we will find our, the truth of what we are 
and when we will that's the only time that we will find ourselves deeply happy and right okay so paul is talking about how our life in this dying world is painful and is difficult but he's all but in in these three verses here he's saying but plato's wrong about this we're not looking forward to a day where the physical ceases to exist and and all we are is spiritual just free-floating spiritual beings no we want to be clothed in a different kind of body a new kind of body a body related to the age to come and not to the age in which we currently exist. We currently exist in an age that has, that is still burdened down by sin and death. Sin and death is still working and at large in the world. And because of that, there is real suffering everywhere. But Jesus has defeated sin and death. And there is a day that's coming when sin and death will be eradicated from all of the universe the only ones who really, really are aware of that are those of us in whom the spirit of Christ is at work. And we don't want to become pure spirit. We just want the physic, our physicality to be set free from sin and death. That's what we're looking for. We don't want these dying bodies. We want eternal bodies. So, we're, meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Now, the, the, this word is really interesting that's used here. Um, the, the heavenly dwelling word. Um, it's, it's only used a, twice in the New Testament, here and in Jude. And in Jude, it's referring, it's talking about angels who left their first dwelling and took on a different kind of dwelling and that's the genesis 6 story where angels left their the the way that they existed and took on physical forms and impregnated women and created the nephilim that's a whole thing okay that's what you was talking about we're not going to go down that rabbit trail today um but that's the only other place that this verse is used uh and so Paul sees us as taking up, when it says heavenly dwelling, it's not talking about leaving the earth and going to heaven and living there. It's talking about our bodies will be, our physical bodies, which are dying, will be replaced by eternal bodies, which will never die. In fact, they are, will grow in glory forever and ever and ever as we dwell in the presence of the father. Woo. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wore out at this point. <laughs> oh, because while we're in these physical bodies, we groan and we are burdened. Not because we want to be pure spirit. Plato's idea is silly. We don't want to be pure spirit. We want to live in eternal bodies that the mortal, our physical selves, will be swallowed up by life, by the immortal, by the things, by a body that's not liable to sin or sickness or death, a body that is no longer uh, part of this world. Wow. 
that's a lot. Okay. <laughs> it's a lot there and a lot to kind of think about and unpack. Um, and, and, and this next piece is actually just as complex in the next couple of verses. So I'm, we're going to wait a second because I want to, I just want to reflect you and I right now in our current existence experience real difficulty and pain um not all the time well yeah in a way all the time i mean we're always getting sick we're always making mistakes we're always forgetting things we're always doing things we wish we hadn't done we're always getting carried away you know um something you know would, would where we get we let anger kind of rise up in our bodies and just carry us off. And we do or say things we wish we hadn't done or said. Uh, there's all the all of these ways. We can't do the, th the things that we want to do. Paul is encouraging us that that is not how it's always going to be. It is how it is now. He's not saying that's not true, are the way that things are. That is the way things are. Life as it exists now is difficult. Um, but what we long for is, is a life that's already at work in us and which we are destined for. So let's continue. So verse 5 Paul says this, Now the one who has fashioned us for this purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I want to tackle that first phrase because it's an interesting one. The one who has fashioned us for this purpose. Now what is that purpose? The purpose Paul's talking about is this is this moving from one kind of life to another living in the life living in the life that we live in now and then eventually being transformed into another kind of life a greater kind of life an eternal kind of life but that doesn't mean that the space we're in now did not come from god the space we're in now did come from god understand God has us here. I think of Romans chapter 8 where he says where he says we've been subjected to futility and hope, okay? We're living in this kind of this space of pressure and grinding. Remember we talked about this in the last chapter. But this space that we exist in right now that is uncomfortable, that is not what what we will be, but this space is ordained by God. God put us here. He put us in the now and the not yet. He's holding us in this place of tension for a purpose, for a purpose, okay? And uh, he fashioned us to be, to, to, to be in these bodies and not to long and to be longing for a different kind of dwelling. He fashioned us to be 
in a dwelling that was ill-fitting for us, and to long for a new kind of body. That, that pressure, that tension is right. It is doing something. It's doing good work in you because the Holy Spirit is there. And then it says, it says he did that. And then he gave us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So we're not to live hopelessly. We have the Holy Spirit. And he, the Holy Spirit, is the one ministering life to us. He, the Holy Spirit, is the one that's that's prying us out of the ministry of death and and turning us into the ministry of life. He, the Holy Spirit, is the one who's forming the image of Christ in us. These are all ways that we've talked about this in the last couple chapters. And I immediately, today, I was as I was reading that, I went back to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, uh, where, where it says, this is verse 11, 12, and 13, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their work, for this is the gift of God. There is a... (laughs) I'm sorry for what I'm about to say. Mandated mundanity. (laughs) That's really what came up in my brain. Mandated mundanity. Okay, so what is that? What is that? I'm sorry. This is literally how my brain works. That is not, I didn't, uh, (laughs) I could hear my wife saying, nobody knows what those words mean. That's okay. Uh, But I love this because this, because what that means is, is God meant, he put us in the space of boringness. That he chose the tension of this life for a reason. He has both given us a life that we are meant to engage in fully. The the Ecclesiastes passage, there's nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their work. That is the gift of God. And God wants us, God wants us, to live in that space. Now, this is Ecclesiastes, okay? So there's some stuff in there that we have to push against because this is the Apostle Paul. I mean, I mean, this is Solomon when he was not in a good space, okay? So, so Ecclesiastes is a conversation. Don't take everything from there and just say, yeah, that's what it is because you're going to constantly be saying everything is meaningless, everything is meaningless. No, no, no. Paul, here's Paul enter, enter, entering into the, that conversation and saying, no, the the this space that God has put us in, this going to work every day, getting up every day, seeing our spouses and our children, walking out the steps of life, that this space is the space God's chosen for you. And then while you're there in, in Ecclesiastes, it says he has put he has set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So he has given us this, this deep 
soul level understanding that we were made for more than this, that we are eternal beings and not temporal. He has given, we know, we all know in our very humanness, we know that death is wrong, that death is not, is not what we were meant for, that we were, that, that, that we're meant to exist eternally, that we're meant to have a life that goes beyond this, this, this broken materiality. The uh, what what people I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it again. What people would call <laughs> uh, the the <laughs> existential angst. Okay, what does that mean? That means that we exist in a life that seems to be meaningless, and then it ends pointlessly. Right? If you don't understand what God is doing, that is exactly how you can see the world. That's the only way you can see the world. The only way you can see the world is eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's the only thing that that existential angst of what is this all for? Nothing. I might as well just enjoy myself until I die, right? That living in that space, and that is the spirit of this age for sure. And Paul is saying, no, that is wrong. We have been, we have been brought into existence in this space where we have the Holy Spirit at work in us, or those of us who can hearken to the voice of the Spirit at work in us, will realize that we were meant for eternal things, and that the these moments, these boring everyday workaday moments, exist for a reason, and that the outcome of these boring everyday moments is just as eternal as the thing as the eternality we long for and desire that we live in this space of now and not yet because God is birthing something eternal in us and it is required of us absolutely required of us to pay attention to the moments in which we live because we will be judged. That's where we're going to get to in a minute. Okay. We're going to get there in a minute, but the, the way we walk out the mon mandated mundanity, <laughs> the way we live in it, will be reflected eternally. You know, I'm going to quote the movie uh, Gladiator. What we do in life echoes in eternity, right? He was right. <laughs> he was right. That's a Christian statement right there. And Paul is saying, attend. Attend to. Pay attention to. That's what attend means. Pay attention to the groan. Pay attention to it and live your life with the understanding that you are not temporary, but that the world that you live in is. The now and not yet light, uh, uh, the now and not yet of the Christian life is ordained by God for our good. 
life and death in the flesh are right and good and pressing us to do and be the good of God in this dying world. God made a choice that he would hold us in this tension for a time to form us into the image of Christ so that when we face him on judgment day, we will be rewarded. But let's keep going because I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Okay, so verse six, therefore, okay, because we know God is the one who put us in this spot, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Okay, so what does that mean? That means if, if, if we're feeling that discomfort, if we are looking at this world and saying, this is not my home, and I don't want to stay here, I want things to change, I'm longing for the eternal, that's a good thing. We, we should have that longing in us. That longing should give us confidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. Because if we become too in love with this world, if we make ourselves too comfortable in this world, and we don't want to see that, to, to engage with the groan in us for the eternal, then we've lost We've lost our connection to what is eternal. We need to we need to pay attention because this world is not our home. And if we love this world too much, we will begin to operate according to the world's way of operating. We will begin to do things because they make sense here and not the way that things make sense in the age to come. We want to live our lives now according to the pattern of the age to come because that is where we will be living out the rest of our existence. And we are bringing things from this age into the next. Pain and discomfort in our current form of life should give us confidence. If we love the way we currently exist too much, we've lost sight of the fact that this is not our eternal purpose. For we live... By faith and not by sight. I'm kind of mad at the New International Version for that the way that that verse was translated. Because they said, for we live by faith and not by sight. And the Greek is, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And I like walk better. Uh, it's just the normal word walk. And yes, it is a metaphor. Walking is a metaphor in this verse for life. But they, 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 uh, they uh, put an obstacle in the way of Paul's metaphor because he wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. Okay? As not wait by faith and not by sight. Walk. Faith without works is dead. We have to take the next step. Keep walking. It's the simple, constant tread of the moving forward on the journey. Um, David Guzik gave me this quote from Spurgeon. That man has not yet learned the true spirit of Christianity who is always saying, I can preach a sermon by faith. Yes, sir. But can you make a coat by faith? I can distribute tracts and visit the district by faith. But can you cook a dinner by faith? 
I mean, can you perform the common actions of the household and the daily duties which fall to your lot in the spirit of faith? Thank you, Spurgeon. Amen. That's what we're called to do, to stay in the wrestle, to keep showing up, to walk by faith and not by sight. We're informed by the invisible world and not the visible world. We make decisions based on the invisible world and not the visible world. We, we walk according to the Sermon on the Mount, not according to, you know, the things the world loves and holds up. We walk according to what, uh, to the, the realities of the age to come, which Jesus showed us and which we can be cognizant of by his spirit, living out this cruciform way of dying so that resurrection might come forth. That's that's what we talked about the whole time. Again, this is the same, we're in the same conversation we have been since chapter three, of showing up to, to earthly death because heavenly life comes behind it. I hope that makes sense. We live... We walk trusting in things that we cannot see. Because we live in this liminal middle space of mortal versus immortal, fading versus ever increasing, death versus the life of the spirit, seen versus unthink, unseen, temporary, temporary versus eternal, veiled versus face to face. The only way to walk in this space is to walk according to what we're headed towards and not what we came out of. We are coming out of death, moving into life. Therefore, the ways of life <laughs> have to inform us. And the Christ kind of life is the kind of life that has already moved through death and come out on the other side. That means a life of loving service rather than a life of domination. And that means a life of, of disempowering ourselves. That others may walk. Rather than storing up power for ourselves. Jesus showed us how to walk a life that looks like the next life and not this one. And that's what we should do. We live by faith and not by sight. Woo! We live in a veiled world, but we're trusting the one who's behind the veil. Because in Christ, we have seen him. Christ came through the veil to show us what he is like. I know that this... <laughs> this this isn't easy did anybody tell you that being a follower of jesus would be easy they lied to you it's not easy it is it requires faith we have to keep operating according to faith and not sight it's so hard to do it's so hard to do but we have to do it we have to do it we have to live by faith and not by sight. It's, it's so hard to do. But we have to do it.
We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Well, of course we would. We would love to be done with this wrestle and have moved forward into the life that we're that we're moving into. We would rather be there. So, now, was Paul suicidal? No, by no means. This phrase does not mean that he wanted to die. It means that he would love for this earthly wrestle to be over. He would love for this, this space of tension in which we currently live, he would love for that to be over, both for him and for all of us. That would be great. But that's not where God has us in this moment. So while we're here, verse 9, we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. We're living the life of the age to come. For we must all, here we go, this is where we're going to start talking about judgment. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Okay. Once again, we're talking about judgment. I feel like we talk about that a lot in this in, the, in these classes, um, partially because I believe it has been a very neglected topic uh, in the Protestant church. Uh, we, we, have, we have boiled everything down, in the Protestant, and I am a Protestant, uh, we, we, we boiled everything down in the Protestant church to saved or not saved. And I have heard people say that the saved will not go through judgment, but that is not what the Bible says. Jesus and Paul and Peter, uh, all say we will be judged. And, and people like to say, well, this is the Bema Seat of Christ, which means that it's only going to be rewards. Well, no, 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 no. That is not what the, and it is. It is the Bema Seat of Christ. We could talk about all of that later, if you like. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that right here. Um, it is. This word, judgment, is Bema. Uh, but, but he says, we will receive what is due. For the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So you can't just throw that away. You can't say, it's just going to be about the good things we did. No, friends, it's not. It's not going to be about that. The whole of our lives will be judged. All the things that we did in the body will be judged in that day. Yes, they will. Jesus said it. Paul is saying it. We can't get away from it. The Bible says it over and over. The things we did in life. Christians do not get to skip over the judgment. But what we need to do is divorce the idea of hell from the idea of judgment. Because they're not the same. They are not the same. Every single human will go through judgment. That's pretty clear. First we die, and then the judgment, right? That's what the Bible says. This is what's going to happen. But that doesn't just because... So so if that was... If judgment means hell, that means all every human's going to hell. And that's obviously not true. We are all going to be judged. We absolutely are. But those who trust in Christ will not end up in eternal fire. Okay, so should we be worried about judgment day? The answer is yes! Yes. Why? Because this is real. 
This is the this is real. The rewards are very real. Do you worry about what your bonus check is going to be at work? If you're a salesperson, do you worry about whether or not they're going to get all your commission on that check? The rewards are real. In fact, they're more real than anything else in this life. These are eternal rewards. We should be absolutely thinking about Judgment Day all the time. It should be in our brains because we are going to be rewarded for the things we did for Christ. That's great news. That is such great news. We need to live understanding that we will be judged. We will be rewarded. And more than that, okay, I don't like the word punished because that isn't, that isn't what's going on here. But the parts of our life that have been spent, wasted on things that are not eternal, will burn away. They'll be gone. And we won't have an answer. We won't have a good answer to present to the one who gave us life and breath and salvation. What did you do with that? moment with those that time of your life and we don't want that either we don't want to stand before christ with nothing to show for the life that we lived we don't want to we don't we we have been given such gifts each breath each heartbeat is a gift. The question we will face is, what did you do with that gift? I go back to the parable of the master who, you know, he gave this servant ten talents, and he gave this servant five talents, and he gave this servant one talent, and then he went away for a long time, and when he came back, he said, What have you done with what I gave you? And the servant with ten talents had ten more. And the servant with five talents had five more. Because both of them invested what they had been given. They both showed up and and put what they'd been given to work. They got busy and they had increase. And the master rewarded them greatly with with deeper intimacy with him and with greater responsibility in the future. And then the last guy buried his talent in the ground and said, you know, I knew you were a hard man. And so I didn't want to take the chance that I would lose what you gave me. So I just, I, you know, here's what you gave me back. And he was punished. And what he was, what he did have was taken from him. That, that parable should wake us up. To the reality that God's asking the question at the end of the day, what did you do with the breaths and heartbeats I gave you? What did you do with the talents I gave you? With the with the intelligence I gave you? With the money that I put in your hands? What did you do with the relationships that I gave you? What did you do with the skills that I gave you? What did you do? Was your life lived... Leaning into the tension 
leading into the age to come? Or was it all spent on your own pleasures and on things that have burnt that were burned up in that fire? Paul talked about this judgment in his first letter to the Corinthian church. It was 1 Corinthians 3. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D, day, the day of the Lord, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. For if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, even though only as escaping through the flames. That's the thing. Will we be, will we be going to hell? No, but we'll have nothing to give him in return for the gift of our lives. It will go away. It'll be burned up because it'll be connected to and interwoven with the things that are passing away. That should shake us up. All right, we're out of time. Oh, wow. Okay. We should live in holy fear. Not that God is going to reject us and send us to hell. That's not it. I read it, I read it here. It's possible to live a saved life, but a wasted life. That should frighten us. And not in a bad way, as in, God's going to hurt me, but I don't want my life to go to waste. Father, help us. Lord, reveal to us. Show us. Teach us to live a life worth living. To live a life that on the day that we stand before you in judgment, we won't be ashamed. Lord, we need your help to do that. To weed out the things that deserve our life and the things that do not. I ask you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you, friends. Have a splendid week.